Well, hello, and welcome to Coffee Break with God, the podcast where we explore the wonders of faith in everyday life. I'm your host, Monica, and I'm so glad you're here. Each episode, we'll have a conversation with a guest who will share their stories, insights, and wisdom on how they connected with God in the midst of their busy and chaotic world. So grab your favorite cup of coffee, tea, or whatever you like, and join us on a coffee break with God. Well, hello, Graceful Warriors. Welcome to Coffee Break with God Friday. So we have a special guest with us. And so joining me today is Dr. Garrett Hope. He is a speaker, a money coach, a fellow podcaster, and a musician. He loves the worship music. So um, I'm glad that you are all with us today, and we're going to listen to an awesome, awesome story of how Garrett went from music to podcasting to now a money coach. So Garrett, welcome to the show. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for, uh, for the invitation and have me on. And I have my coffee. I'm ready to go. I do. I've had my coffee already this morning. I am ready to go. <laughs> so, uh, Garrett, um, it was really interesting uh, talking to you um, this past week, getting to know a little bit of your story. But uh, just for our listeners and viewers today, give us a little bit of your, your background and let the people know a little bit about you. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. So I'm going to give the real short version. Okay. So um, I, when I was uh, in undergrad, I was a music major and a history major, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. Mm -hmm. But I started taking composition lessons as a music student. And mm -hmm. one of my first compositions won a major award. And I thought, oh my gosh, this, this writing music's really great and it's easy. Turns <laughs> out it's not easy. <laughs> I, I would think lucky. it would be easy. <laughs> and so I went to graduate school to continue my music studies in music theory and composition. And while I was in my master's program, God provided some opportunities for me to begin teaching. I was uh, a graduate teaching assistant. In fact, I, I was given in two entire classrooms onto my own. I had to create the syllabus and everything. I'd never done this before. And wow. um, it, it at the same time, um, I was hired at a local community college to teach some music technology and world music and music appreciation. And God just kept opening these doors for yeah. me to be in the classroom. And what's really funny about this, Monica, is that I kind of was actively trying to avoid teaching because my mom was a music educator and I have lots of educators in my family. And I just thought, I don't want to do that. Right. Uh, and as God does. He orchestrates our path um, and revealed to me through these opportunities that he's given me some skill here. He's, he's given me um, the talent necessary to do this work. And he revealed that to me by giving me the opportunities. And that led me then to pursue a doctorate in music composition because the minimum requirement to apply for teaching positions in higher education is the terminal degree, the doctorate degree. So wow. I went and did that. And for a while I was teaching full time as a, as a professor in a small liberal arts college on the East coast. Mm 
outside of Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> and as God continues to orchestrate my path, he, uh, I, I ended up leaving that position and my, my wife and I, and our daughter, we moved back to Nebraska where I got my doctorate. Um, and that is when I had this incredible epiphany where I had been calling myself a composer, but I had been paying the bills by teaching. And wow. I began asking, what would it look like if I were to pay the bills by writing music? Right. And the epiphany was that I'm a small business owner. I'm not just a composer. I, I am an artist who is also selling a service and a product. And Correct. I started learning all about business and what that meant. And because I was no longer in the classroom, I shifted that talent stack I had that God had given me and that I had developed. And I moved it from lecturing to a room of 30 students to podcasting and coaching and public speaking. Mm -hmm. And that was in 2014, 2015. I launched the podcast, The Portfolio Composer, and which is all about helping composers was the business side of writing music. And now I am talking more to business owners and executives. Um, and I God is opening doors in interesting ways where I not only serve at my church as director of worship, but I, uh, also am getting opportunities to preach as wow. fact, I two days ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> interesting. I don't really know ever what God is going to do next. Well, the point of this whole story, I think there's maybe a few points. The first is that life is a bit of an adventure when we let God take control. Oh, man. Yes. Yes. The second point is that uh, I believe firmly that um, education is both important, mm -hmm. but the current state of education is not in a good place. And as I went through these journeys and as I became an entrepreneur and as I have helped more and more people, I believe that we have, and I've begun to see these, what I call anchors. Uh -huh. And these are the, the, the ways of thinking that keep us stuck in the mud and the shoals of the world and keep us from playing large. In fact, we, we, we become small and I don't uh -huh. think we live into the promise that God gives us. And that's what I currently am feeling compelled to talk to people about and to help people with. And I want people to be able to have freedom in their creativity, in their leadership, in their decision-making. And the angle I approach all this is through their relationship with money. And at the same time, I'm still writing music all the time. <laughs> I just finished a composition last night for a brass sextet. Oh, wow. Friends University, so I sent it off to him. So I'm, I'm always, I maybe I do too much. I don't know. Well, you know, it's an adventure. <laughs> it is an adventure, and I love it. It really is. It really is. It's just, you know, to, oh my gosh, to just go from one end of the spectrum of life clear over to the next is just like, wow. It's how did how did the family take the dyna dynamics of everything just swapping in life? <sighs> exactly. That's what I would say as a wife, I would go, okay, now what does this mean? Well, um, my wife, I think it's a, it's an interesting question. I don't know if everyone's ever really asked me that one specifically. 
I feel completely supported by my wife. That's and uh, we we're a team. Yeah. Uh, we don't, we come to decisions together and she sees me for who I am. And you know what I've become really grateful for lately, Monica, is the fact that? That, that, that my wife does see me, that mm-hmm. she, she knows my flaws. She knows my sinfulness and my sin patterns, and she still loves me. And this is all related to the answer because uh, yes. she also sees what God has given me to do and encourages right. me to do it. Right. You know, it's, it's amazing. You know, we were just talking about that, even at my church about family and the dynamic relationship between the husband and wife. And it is exactly what you say. It is a team. It's a unit. It's when one is weak, the other picks up and, and it just, that's why God created it to be that way. But um, you were talking about like, money and, and the believer in money and stuff like that. How, how did you get into that field? What, what drew you there? Sure. Because I had to deal with my own money anchors and my own money baggage. Right. Uh, as I was building a business um, and dealing with student loan debt and credit card debt and trying to pay the bills. And uh, I, I now have a teenage daughter with, with all the expenses that come along with that. Right. Uh, I, through the recommendation of a friend, I found a, a wonderful coach named Shell Tain who lived in Portland, Oregon, and she helped me break free from a lot of that poor way of thinking. And um, I, I now want to help others in the same way. And because I'm a Christian and I approach everything through a biblical framework, I can see how this happens a lot for Christians. In particular, we feel really... Uh, trapped we have some cognitive dissonance around what we believe what we see in the world and see in our churches and what we read in the bible Mm. and and i and i think we over concern ourselves with money christ is Mm. always saying these are the these are the concerns of the age the worries of the age in fact what Mm -hmm. i preached on two days ago was matthew 13 1 through 9 which is the parable of the sower uh-huh. And when he gets to uh, the thorny ground, the third soil type, he says, these are people concerned with the worries of the money. And then he specifies, he goes even further and he says, particularly money. Right. And so I, what I kind of feel called to do is to help Christians free themselves from that because Christ mm-hmm. offers peace. He offers rest. He says, my yoke is light. And we are to experience the freedom in Christ at the same time we are his hands and feet in the world. And that often requires money and it's not, it's not money. That's the problem. And that's the thing, Monica, is that we, and this is one of the anchors I like to talk about is the, what I call the it's money's fault anchor. And if I could give one big piece of truth to your audience today, it would be that money is reflective it's not causative. Big, that's big. Yeah. Right. And let's unpack yes. that a little bit. We often will say um, we can't do something because of money or exactly. due to money. And all money does is uh, reflect back what's there or what's in your heart. Uh-huh. And it's, it's not money 
that's the root of all evil. And that's how people will often misquote First uh, Timothy 6.10. Right. But what does it actually say? It's the love of the love. money. Right. And Jesus never really condemns anyone for being rich. And then you'll say, oh, yeah, but what about the, the rich young ruler, right? Who was told yep. to sell everything. Jesus still loved that person. What does it say at the end of that passage? He loved him deeply. And what Jesus wants is for him, for God to be the center of our hearts, correct? not money. And what Jesus right. was identifying for this young man was that his things, his possessions and his money were what were driving him. Mm -hmm. And in yeah. our churches, we do that too. We make decisions in our congregations about who we're going to hire, how we're going to spend our money on what programs, whether we're going to replace the pews with, with chairs or whether we need yes. a new roof all on money-based money. decisions. And God says, no, what am I leading you to do? Mm -hmm. yeah. And it, it takes a lot of work to get, to get past that. In fact, right. if we, I, I have, I have first Timothy open here. I have my Bible. <laughs> if we jump a little bit, Further ahead in chapter six, we get to um, 17 and 18. Uh -huh. And Paul says, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, mm -hmm. but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age. Wow. So a few things there are rich people and Paul does not say any, he doesn't make a judgment about the rich people Right. He says, for those who are rich, make sure that they don't act sinfully by being arrogant. Correct. Don't rely on your wealth, rely on God. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Be generous. And our churches get so focused on the bottom line of the budget rather than what's the mission. Exactly. Who are we called to serve? And when we act out in faith, when God says, you know what, I want you to be the church that's working with these refugee families, or I want you to be the church that is active in this neighborhood. Uh, maybe yes. you have a, you know, a food pantry or a, a soup kitchen or yeah. whatever the work may be. It could be missions focused in another world, uh, another country that takes money. And if you're only looking at, can we do it now? Be, do we have the money in the bank? That's not being faithful to what God's called us to do. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, you know, money is the tool, but, you know, our God is rich and, and oh, everything. Infinitely. And it's like, instead of going to money, go to the one that can provide any and, and everything that we ever need and say, not the money, but Lord, what do you say? Can you help us get this done? And he'll provide everything that we need. Absolutely. He will. Mm -hmm. I'm constantly challenged um, when I, when I'm in times of doubt and struggle, uh -huh. I have to sit back and I say, well, do I actually believe this promise? Uh -huh. Because if I really believe the promise, I wouldn't have any doubt. It's a challenge. It It is. And so I think Jesus is constantly inviting us to say, believe me, trust yeah. me. If you have this much faith, you know. Yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, I did a really deep study on the book of Judges. Ooh. Oh, 
about a year ago. And then I taught it as a Sunday school class to both our adults and to our youth. And I took a really big lesson um, that we can apply to this. Mm-hmm. So when we, when we open the book of judges, right. right. Uh, Joshua has just led Israel into Canaan Correct. and the book of Joshua kind of ends after they've conquered quite a bit of territory. I mean, there's the story of Jericho and a few uh-huh. other big battles right. and then Joshua dies. And right. the first chapter kind of reads like a series of press releases. It goes through nine of the 12 tribes and it kind of starts with Judah Here's what Judah did. And and the commandment from God on what they were to do when they got there is crystal clear. I mean, there's no ambiguity. They're to do these things. And yes, that does mean slaughter the people that were there. Yeah, during that time. We're, yeah. we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about that right now when we can. <laughs> right. But um, did they do what God said to do? Mm-hmm. And Judah does pretty good. Like I went when I taught this to the high schoolers, I had them give the tribes a grade. It's like, okay, if oh, you wow. were, how well did they do on the assignment? That's by pretty the time, cool. By the time we get to Dan and some of the other chapters, they just give up. Or not chapters, tribes. Uh-huh. Like Dan didn't even take the land. And that's why we get problem at the book of, at the end of the book of Judges, Dan is wandering and trying to find land and they create a whole series of problems. That's the last couple chapters of the book. Right. And then we get to the beginning of chapter two and the angel of the Lord comes and he condemns Israel. He said, I told you to do this thing. Yeah. And you did not do it. Therefore, I'm going to change the conditions. The yeah. promise is still there. I'll always be with you. However, now there's penalties. God, yeah. Yeah. They're, you're going to pay the price. And right. here's the lesson I got from it. The tribes were basically saying to God, but I could not. They were like some of them would not conquer the people because to quote from the text, they fought back or they had chariots or it was hard. Mm -hmm. And they said, but we could not. And God's answer is in the beginning of chapter two, you would not. You would not. Big difference. Big difference. When I was in high school, I had a a youth pastor who mentored and discipled me and a group of, of my friends. And every week he would say, well, how are you doing? And we would be praying for each other. And we did give a little update, uh-huh. you know, like how, how well did I do on the Bible reading I committed to do or my prayer life or the sins I was struggling with. And he would turn to me, his name was Paul McCart. And he'd say, Garrett, you are full of reasons, but you have oh. no excuses. Wow. And that's what God is saying to Israel. He said, listen, I told yes. you what to do. And you're saying, well, we couldn't do it because of X, Y, Z, right? Like, they, it's a litany of why they weren't able. And mm-hmm. God says you wouldn't. You have reasons, but no excuses. And that holds true for us today too, right? Do right. not be concerned with the worries of age. And we said, yeah, but God, listen, like if I don't really pay attention to what's happened to the political situation, it's going to impact how, how well I can give to my church, right? That's a good money. Yes, exactly. Yeah, how I'm going to be able to provide for my family in the future. Um, mm-hmm. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? Reasons. Yeah. Money's and Jesus tight. says, yeah, you, those, are, those are all reasons, but not excuses. Exactly. And that's the lesson I pull from judges that we can apply to this, which is also a negative way of, of money thinking. Mm-hmm. Man, and, that is just huge. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. It when puts I, so much perspective into, you know, of 
it brings the attention on the individual going, it's not that you, you can't or won't, it's do you trust and will you obey what I'm asking you to either do or not do in that particular situation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. huge. And, and it can be, you know, we're talking about big issues and money issues, but it's being faithful in the small things too. Right. When, when the Holy Spirit nudges you to have a conversation with someone, and sometimes those conversations are hard, right? To, yes. to point out, I, I noticed this sin pattern in you and, you, and you, God's telling me to tell you, you need to repent. Yeah. And those are we hard don't moments. like it. They're hard. We don't like it. They're, and man, uh, to completely frank, I had a really good friend call me out of the blue at the beginning of January and said, Garrett, God gave me a message for you. And mm -hmm. she told me what it was. And it just, oh my gosh. Thank you. Sit back and, for a while. <laughs> yeah, and I've been I've been unpacking it and repenting of this sin since then, and it's made a. Oh. I needed to hear it, right? And she was faithful in that moment. But sometimes right. we get those messages, and because well, I mean, we'll give a list of reasons. Like, what kind of reasons can you come up with, Monica? I don't want to. I don't want to be embarrassed. Right. I don't, I don't want to make my friend really angry. To confront. I don't like confrontation. You know, yep. yep. How's well, it's like, well, this is not my it? job. It's the pastor's it's, job. Exactly. Exactly. We just gave four or five reasons, mm -hmm. but does that excuse us? No, not at all. No. You know, it even so how, goes on to the scripture. What is it says to, to him that knows to do right and doesn't do it to him? It is a sin to go and say, Hey, cause we are called to go to each other and, and, help each other in those times where we're just, we're wrong. We're doing something wrong. We're seeing something wrong to be able to correct one another. And then Lord even says the Lord corrects those who he loves, you know, and to do that is that is love amongst the body of Christ. Yeah. And some people are, are hard to help. Right. Right. Some they people, are. Um, are just challenging due to their personality or the circumstances they're in and, or, mm -hmm. or they're, or they're needy and mm -hmm. it, it gets messy when you involve mm -hmm. yourselves in other people's lives. And so right. we want to avoid that. Yes. But that's again, not an excuse. No, right? no, no. I think it also is, you know, you bring up a, a really good topic is also as well as, when the Lord sends us, it's because it, he's already prepared that person's heart to receive. You know, if the Lord didn't say anything, it is not the right time to go and go sit down and have that type of conversation with somebody. But to be able to obey him. And, and then again, like you talk about with all the excuses that we give the Lord, we are missing out on that opportunity to give God glory and go into that person, and now both can give God the glory through repentance. Yes, I love it. Big. Yeah, That's absolutely. Big. So, hey, we're talking with Dr. Garrett Hope. He's a speaker, money coach, award-winning composer, and a great worship leader in the in the body of Christ. So, um, Garrett, you also talked about. Um, I listened to one of your podcasts and you talked about money as far as talent stacks. And in that aspect, can you kind of expand a little bit on that? Yeah. 
so I usually talk about this when I'm helping people with career development issues. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of money issues on how we put ourselves out in the world and getting jobs, asking for our worth and so on. But the talent stack idea is this. Your talent stack are all of the things that make you unique. It is the collection of experiences that you've had, education you've had, the mm -hmm. knowledge and skills that you've acquired and that God has given you, right? Like we know uh, from the there's gifts of the spirit. So that's included here too, right? Oh, all wow. the things that make you unique. Mm -hmm. and non-fungible. And so and this is part of the reason why I have such a beef with contemporary higher education is we're pumping out all these people with the same degree. And it doesn't really matter then who, which, you know, English major you hire. And that makes when, total sense right there. Right. Yep. We haven't so, even gotten into it yet. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> and so if you're putting yourself out into the world, do you, do you kind of hang your hat and lead on this idea that you have the degree that a hundred thousand other people have, mm -hmm. or do you put yourself together as a full package? Often it can look like this. So I have extensive training as a musician. I'm a doctor of music. Like I, uh -huh. I, I'm pretty good at music uh -huh. <laughs> and that's not like, I'm not bragging to say that it's, it's a fact, Right. but when I add on top of that communication skills writing skills public speaking skills teaching mentorship and the gifts of the spirit that god has given me such as wisdom prophecy you know mm -hmm. on and on now it's like right. oh this is what separates me yes from all the other people who have the same degree okay so that that talent stack idea and now we want to take this out into the world or god has said take it to the world Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole great big world of people we want to serve. And if you start doing any kind of entrepreneurship or business type things, or if you want to start a podcast, one of the first you questions go. you have to answer is, who am I going to talk to? Exactly. Who, what is my audience? Who is going to buy what I'm selling? Exactly. And business in a nutshell is looking at an audience that has a problem and it solves a problem and then they sell the solution. Doesn't matter if you're a gas station, um, you know, you're provide your barber shop, a grocery store, a lawyer, yes. all these are, they're selling solutions to problems. Now yes. we take this idea and think of this as a Venn diagram. One big circle is your talent stack. All the things that make you unique experiences, gifts, knowledge, talents, so on. And the other circle in our intersecting Venn diagram here are the people you want to serve. Right. And where they overlap, where you can solve their problems are an almost infinite number, infinite number of opportunities for you to solve them. Right. Right. And that's a way for you to serve. Now that doesn't mean that you have to sell your solution. You can give it away. That's completely up to you. It's between you and God. Right. However, people will often look at these things and they say, well, there's only one way to do it. I have to go and get my education. I have to go and get my degree. I have to take out a loan. I have to, right. I have to, I have to, whatever that is. And one of the things that took me a long time to realize is that that's not true. Yes. I can take what makes me unique. 
I can take the people I want to talk to and I can say, how can I serve them? Mm -hmm. What are their problems? Can I offer them a solution that's going to help? And then if you want to be in business, will they pay me for it? Yeah. And and I do that as a composer. Currently I am writing music for mostly educational ensembles. That's high school, college and university bands, choirs, and orchestras. Mm-hmm. And they have a different set of problems than our major orchestras or let's say a professional solo violinist or even a film score. And I do write film scores sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I look at that and I say, well, how, how can I help? Right. And, and then I create art that I then right. sell. Right. As a public speaker, I look at these businesses and I say, okay, well, and churches, they are being stuck in poor ways of thinking. They have a bad relationship with money. I want to help them shift their relationships so they can lead with creativity and they feel free and they can be big and not play small. Mm-hmm. And we can say, okay, what are the promises of God? Do I believe it? And sometimes these things are keeping us down. And that's how I'm, I'm looking at it. That's, that's right. the idea of talent stacks. I love it. I love, you know, and there's so many people too. It's like, you know, again, with talking about money, they're going, well, I don't have that money to go to college and get that education. I'm just a part-time mom or part-time dad, you know, but it's actually going, well, what are my skill sets in being a part-time mom and part-time dad and going, Hey, creating that talent like you're talking about and say, I am worth something than just a piece of paper that says I did study in history and science, you know, yeah, it really, it totally makes sense, you know, but then, then on the other hand too, you were, you and I were talking about actually valuing um, the work and even to the point of valuing our workers, if people are in, you know, that CEO job or the the boss position, it is valuing your workers and um, giving them the respect that they deserve. Because so many people, I think today, even in society with you have fast food jobs that are paying 16, $17 an hour, which I, our age, we didn't hear of that. It was like five bucks, three bucks an hour, depending on what generation you were. And the fact that it is that almighty dollar, you know, that they can just go, hey, you know, swing a little cookie in front of you to bite that dollar instead of getting the worth and the respect as the worker is is humongous. You know, we do give so much value to that dollar. You brought up a, a whole bunch of issues there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know I did. <laughs> I know. Um, just like, wow, you know, it's. So let's just pick one of them to talk about. How about, okay. how about, how do we, how do we hold our value? How do we hold our worth when we put ourselves out into the world? And right. this will manifest itself when we have to ask for money, when we go to make the sale. Right. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I'm just going to use myself as an example. Okay. For years, I taught guitar lessons and piano lessons. And I would have to then go to a parent and say, well, hire me. <laughs> right? right. And it's going to cost X amount of dollars. And when I was 16 years old and taught my first guitar lesson, I just kind of said, I just chose the cheapest number that I thought they would pay, which uh-huh. was like $10 for a half hour lesson. 
that's twenty dollars oh, wow. an hour, and twenty dollars an hour in nineteen ninety four wasn't too that bad. That was a lot. That right? was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And now I look at it and I say, okay, I have a doctorate in music. I have twenty plus years professional experience as a professional musician, as a mm -hmm. teacher, uh, as a performer, and a composer, and all these other things. I've invested incredible amounts of time and effort into learning these skills. So I'm going to charge top dollar. And I don't teach lessons, but if I did, I would be $50 for a half hour lesson. Wow. Yeah. Now, when you go to a major city, if you're on the coast, let's say LA, New York, Chicago, Seattle, all those places, that's going to be kind of uh, almost a standard rate. And, mm -hmm. and it was a real shock to me when I was preparing for auditions as a high schooler. And I started taking lessons, um, with more advanced teachers. I mean, you progress through your teachers as you grow in skill and from my neighborhood guitar teacher to the guy who was a university professor, all of a sudden it was very expensive. And now uh -huh. I understand why yet yes. it is so hard to go and say, okay, well, you want an hour lesson, it's going to be a hundred dollars. Yeah. And as a coach, I charge $250 an hour and it can, it can be really hard to ask people to pay that. However, I am confident that I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I know the, the, the outcome I can get for these people. Mm -hmm. And this, this reveals some interesting money knots because people will backpedal. Oh I yeah, it's a lot. You'll uh, a teacher or a coach or whomever will say, "Well, I my normal rate is whatever," and and they just keep talking and they'll fill the space and they'll be, "But yes. but you know what? If you're having a really hard time or or you know what? Because you're my friend and and we start yes. discounting and we backpedal and we backpedal and we backpedal." And, now, I want to acknowledge that there is a time and a place for all of those kinds sure. of things. However, sure. when we do that, we end up settling and settling is a really bad place to be because we end up acquiring clients that are not a good fit for us. One mm -hmm. of the things that pricing does is it sends signals to the market on who is a good fit and how can we serve them? Right. For instance, if you're looking at a plumber and, and you call up one guy and he's like, oh yeah, I'll just charge you like $12 to, to fix this thing. And the next guy's 150. You think, well, wait a second. That's a pretty big, yeah. Right. Like, right. Okay. But we do this when we put our, our products and our services out into the world, uh -huh. we send messages. So yeah. here's the trick. What you have to do is you have to put your price out there and then be quiet because the other person, all of a sudden now all their money anchors are triggering and they're trying to figure out, well, can I afford it? Uh, is this going to be the right fit? Mm -hmm. And they're processing the signal you just sent them. Right. So if now you're trying to price signal to the right client and you say, okay, well, the piano lessons are going to be, let's say, what, what would be probably reasonable in the middle of the mountains in Idaho? Uh, $25 oh, for a half hour lesson, let's say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, because you have to take into a factor where you are, right? Like that's exactly that's a big difference. And now they start backpedaling and they're like, oh yeah, but... Uh, 
you were referred to me by a friend and, and we go to the same church and, yes. and whatever. And so now you settle at $15, right? Devaluing. When you have done that, the client is hearing you backpedal and all mm -hmm. these things. And you're now sending really confusing signals. They're starting to understand this person doesn't really know what they're offering, what that is they can do for me. Mm -hmm. That's why we have to be really clear with our pricing, holding your value, being confident in it. And, and you can't just make up a number. Right. You, you kind of have to test the market. And one way you can do that is to survey people who are offering similar products and services. What are they currently charging? And mm -hmm. you can always start by kind of being middle of the pack. But if you price yourself middle of the pack, it's really hard to distinguish yourself. And there's a whole philosophy around how to set your prices and price psychology and all these other things. And there are uh, consulting firms that charge high six figures to really big businesses. Oh, yes. figure it out. Like how much should Nike price their new air Jordans at? <laughs> well, oh, there's a lot Lord. of research. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and the part of the reason they're so expensive, even though they might, they might only cost $18 to make maybe even less than that. And they're mm -hmm. what, what would the new air Jordans be 175 or something. Something like that. It's because they want to be the premier product. Mm -hmm. And I had someone say this to me once because I, uh, on my podcast, I interviewed a lot of composers and musicians and I would, we would uh, all about the business of it. And this guy was a guitar maker, boutique guitar maker in the Panhandle, oh, wow. Florida. And his guitars start at $20,000. Now I can start. Now I can go to the guitar store here in town and I can pick up, um, an imported manufactured guitar that is perfectly adequate. Mm -hmm. for $250. Right. So why am I going to spend $20,000? The name, the brand. Well, that, yeah. Well, that, and be, there's customizability, right? Yes. There's, uh, um, there's cachet, mm -hmm. right? And he said to me, do you want to be the Rolex or, or the Rolls Royce of what you want to do? That's or true. you just want to be the Ford, right? That's true. And when we put ourselves out into the world, if you're a Christian that has a business and you're operating, whether it's a hair salon or you're a plumber or an electrician or uh, any of the, the trades, whatever it may be, don't just be the bottom choice. Right. You, you want, and so this requires excellence on your part. It requires you showing up and doing what you promised to do and doing it well and on time and on budget, whatever, all those things. Right. But when you can do that, you can justify charging a little bit more because you're worth it and mm -hmm. you will build a reputation and people will talk about you and you'll right. get even more clients and it snowballs from there. Right. Is this making sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And I think too, it is doing our job. I think we've come into that, that mind frame of when we get up and we're doing our job, whether we're our own business owner or we're getting up every day and going to work, that it's a, well, I'll just give 60% today or 70%. It's Wednesday, but it is giving um, our everything as unto the Lord. 
doing our job as if the Lord, I mean, is, is the boss because ultimately he is and doing that and setting that price and say, Hey, I'm an heir to the kingdom. I provide this service, you know, and I do it well as mm -hmm. unto the Lord, then you will be blessed as unto the Lord, you know? And I think that there's, there is so much, there is so much, it's really based off of our, I think our image as well and how we view that self-esteem of ourselves, you know, well, yeah, like, you know, well, I guess I can do it. Is there confidence in you to do the job that you could sell that confidence into that potential buyer and whatever it is, you know, saying, hey, I'm confident I can do this job. It will be well worth the time, the effort, the money, you know? Yep. Yeah. There's that apocryphal story about the guy who hired the plumber and the guy, <laughs> the plumber comes to the house and he looks around, he's listening to the problem and he takes out his tool and he just does one thing and the problem's fixed. And the guy, the, the homeowner thinks he's off the hook and he gets this bill for a couple hundred dollars. He's like, you didn't do, you were here for like five minutes. Mm -hmm. And the answer was no, this took me 30 years to learn the right answer. I solved your problem. Oh, wow. That's what a perspective. Your, that's holding your value, right? And let's exactly. tie this all together where we started. So this yeah. is absolutely related to the money anchor of money, uh, where we call money, uh, the money is the cause of the problems, right? Money right. is reflective, not causative. And right. so what we'll do when we're holding our prices is we'll say, I can't charge this much because I'm not worth it. We, 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 we now have tied our money. We're saying money is going to cause me to feel or to be worth such amount. No mm -hmm. money reflects the amount. Money just reflects how much is in your account. It says, you know what? You have $493 and 62 cents after you paid your bills. Right. And money doesn't actually provide judgment. Right. Music all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and so then what we want to do is we want it to have judgment where we'll say, you know what? I am guilty of something because mm -hmm. of money, because I have perhaps you think not enough or too much. Right. Whatever that may be. But remember, money is reflective, not causative. Right. So, Garrett, uh, I just wanted to say, you know, man, it, it really just comes to the root of giving our, our talent and our time um, to the Lord and let him reward us in the, the thing that we need, money or, you know, just the Lord will bless us in everything that we do. If we ultimately say, Lord, send me or where do I go next or to work for the Lord in everything that we do. Yeah. And so, and, uh, and I would like to invite people uh, into the discussion with me. So I have a sub stack yeah. where I, I write about, well, it's a whole variety of thoughts, but usually around money anchors and money thinking in our relationship with money. So if you go to my website, Garrett Hope, two R's, two T's, H-O-P-E.com, you can find a link to sign up for my sub stack and read it. It's there's a free version. And I also have a money relationship quiz on my there website. You it's just a 24, 25 questions. And then I'll send you a response back. It's just a way for us to start looking at how is your relationship with money working? And maybe we can reveal some 
thinking patterns, some anchors that are keeping you down. Wow, that is amazing. You know, and and uh, for those that are looking into other podcasts and stuff, t- give us a little bit of what your podcast is about. Sure. It's the Portfolio Composer and it's all about the business side of writing music. So if you are a musician and you mm-hmm. want to know more about how to make money doing what you're doing, then please check out the podcast. There are over 250 episodes available with interviews with performers, composers, guitar builders, and a whole variety of things. And I have another podcast with a good friend of mine, Dr. Heidi K. Begay, called The Pivoting Musician. And there we talk about musicians who are who have hit a wall. So many of us believe that there's only like two tracks in music, that you have to become a performer in an orchestra or teach in a university. And that's where the talent stack Venn diagram comes in. And we want to say, no, you can pivot. Find the people you want to serve, take the skills you've honed and let's serve them. And let's find a way to make money doing that. Wow. Thank you so much, Garrett, for perspective on how we should view our money. And um, if you are listening in on this podcast, go ahead and give a shout out to uh, Dr. Garrett Hope. And we just thank you for having you come on the show today and uh, just say that the Lord bless you the rest of this week. Thank you. Also with you. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining us on Coffee Break with God a podcast for anyone who wants to grow in their faith and discover the amazing ways that God works in our lives. I hope you enjoyed our inspiring conversations with our guests from different backgrounds, perspectives, and walks of life. So whether you need a shot of inspiration or a dash of encouragement or even a scoop of reflection, I hope this podcast is your perfect companion for a coffee break with God. Till next time, who's up for a second cup of coffee?